the IEEE Digital Reality Podcast Series showcases insightful conversations with industry leaders in AI, virtual reality, augmented reality, XR, smart robots, and much more. It serves as the leading community for projects and activities on a range of immersive technologies, keeping audiences at the forefront of industry-leading advancements. In this episode, Nicholas Knapp, co-founder of Xmark Labs LCC and steering committee member for IEEE's Digital Reality Initiative, explores salient aspects of AI and gaming and examines social and ethical implications for humanity along with perils, challenges, and opportunities in this realm. Nick, thank you for taking some time to contribute to IEEE's Digital Reality Podcast Series. AI can be truly impressive when assessing its impact on gaming specific to its functioning, interactions, and how lifelike it can be. What game developers and designers typically want is for players to have a good experience when AI is built into games. What else can AI be doing in gaming to serve the purpose of helping humanity? So uh, I guess let me start by being a, a terrible podcast guest and, and not exactly answer that question directly. Um, I, I think it's it's probably useful to talk a little bit about the history of AI games because there, there's a couple of things that make it unique. Um, unlike a lot of the AI that we hear about today, most of what has been implemented in games didn't really start as academic research. It started to have, to be a solution to a very specific problem. And that problem is fundamentally that there are two types of games in the world. There's ones that you can play entirely by yourself, like you know Solitaire or something like that. Um, and then there's the ones that need more than one player. And if you need more than one player, and uh, you know playing against other people is very engaging, but if there isn't somebody right there, or the device that you're gaming on doesn't support having a second player, you know, how do you drive that kind of engagement? And so that's really the problem that AI and gaming initially tried to solve, was this idea of providing virtual opponents that are really worth actually playing against. Um, and these non-player characters or, or NPCs in, in the industry jargon um, are really a key component of, uh, of an interesting game. And again, unlike most inst- instances of uh, AI, the first example actually goes back way further than you might think. I think there was a um, there was a, a electronic game called NIM back in the early 1950s that was built as a as a bro- uh, proof of concept, and that was basically the first electronic game ever where the opponent was a machine. So it was one human playing against the machine. Um, and then you know after that there was a, a, a fair amount of growth in the games industry. Um, in the early days with machine-based uh, chess opponents and checkers and so forth. And then that inevitably, you know, we, we got into the text-based games that were so popular in the early days of computing, uh, computer gaming especially, that, um, uh, you know, had, had rudimentary AI. Um, and then when you get into the, the sort of golden age of arcade games, which started in the 70s with games like Pong and Space Invaders, you know, both of those had very rudimentary AI so that the opponents were controlled by a microprocessor, not a human. Um, you know, the ghosts following you around in Pac-Man, that's another great early example. And so these are all things that could be played very rewardingly by a single player, and all of the opponents were computer-controlled. Um, and then, you know, as games became more sophisticated, you saw the AI uh, in that use case evolve too. 
So I think, you know, around 1993 was when Doom came out. Um, and that, I think, was one of the first popular games that had AI that was, that was uh, clever enough in, in, uh, in, in quotes um, that sometimes those non-player characters would actually end up fighting each other based on the rules they'd been given without any player interaction at all. Um, so, and you know, you've got uh, sports games that like Madden Football that actually tried to emulate the, the management style of a particular coach using AI. Um, and in general, it gets used for a few different things like, you know, pathfinding. So figuring out how the opponents get from one place to another, uh, real-time decision-making. So, you know, whether the opponents attack or hide or, or whatever they're doing, um, emergent behavior. So the, uh, the opponents get smarter over time. Um, combat systems, um, you know, some of these are really quite sophisticated now. Um, in some cases, uh, the, the developers will give these non-player characters senses like hearing. So if you make a noise as a player within the game, um, they will respond to that. Um, and some even have rudimentary survival instincts built right in. And that's, you know, that is all to drive the engagement of the game, which is the fundamental sort of purpose of gaming, is to give people a, um, uh, something to do, something that takes them out of their day-to-day -day reality, which, of course, during a pandemic um, has, has been uh, pretty critical. Um, but you also see some, some new areas of AI uh, adoption that are pretty interesting. Um, for example, content generation. Uh, you're starting to see uh, some really interesting work being done on top of what used to be just procedural content generation, which is something the games industry has used for a long time. You know, they'll come up with a, an algorithm that will uh, generate a 3D landscape automatically or emulate a particular material like stone or wood. Um, but the AI versions are much more sophisticated. We're starting to see ones that can generate uh, fully formed characters and vehicles and all kinds of other content, um, even generate you know, audio soundtracks um, or generate dialogue or you know, any number of things. Um, there's a lot of work being done to figure out the emotional state of a player as well, and that can be used to dynamically adjust the difficulty of a game and try and respond to player intent. Um, and it's also being used to mine uh, data or data mine user behavior so that, uh, you know, different ads can be uh, played, different inducements to make the player spend money can be used and so forth. And all of these different applications of AI are really designed to improve the player's experience, to make the game richer and more engaging, you know, and hopefully more fun. So to, to finally come back and answer your question, you know, gaming really does help people uh, escape. It helps them feel connected, and it helps them uh, relax. And it can also help, um, you know, in, especially in older gamers, it can help uh, improve uh, your sense of isolation and cognitive function, and, and a number of other uh, number of other benefits. So, Nick, can you expand your thoughts on some compelling use cases or scenarios where AI can benefit humanity in the realm of gaming? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, obviously we are uh, hopefully starting to come out of the of the pandemic, but that has been a had a massive impact on just literally the way that everybody around the planet has been living their lives. And in uh, early 2020, we were already seeing massive growth in gaming. I think we had about 2.8 billion gamers worldwide by the end of the year. 
Um, at this point in 2021, we're already at 3.1 billion gamers worldwide. That's 40% of the people on this planet are now in some way, shape, or form playing games. And about 1.4 billion of those you know, are just in Asia. Um, and you know, the pandemic really has been a huge driver. I haven't seen numbers for 2021 yet, but um, last year there was a, a 39% increase in mobile game downloads. Um, you know, Microsoft reported a 130% increase in multiplayer engagement, so people playing against each other. Uh, the Nintendo uh, Switch saw its sales climb by about 24% over the previous year. Um, I think we had, a, we had a number of all-time highs for the daily uh, average number of users on a variety of different gaming platforms. Um, streaming platforms like Twitch that focus on um, gaming content uh, you know, Twitch saw growth of about, I think they were up about 50% uh, over the previous year. Um, and the industry as a whole was seeing about 35% year-over-year growth, which, is, which it's still doing. But what is interesting about that, I think, um, beyond just the numbers, is how that is fundamentally changing gaming itself. Because, you know, for example, um, uh, I found this random news bite when I was uh, doing some research for this, this podcast. Back in 2011, one of the fastest growing segments in gaming um, was actually toddlers, uh, toddlers and babies, um, which you know, seems, seems kind of interesting and odd now. Um, but currently, the fastest growing segment is 55 to 64-year-olds. And neither of those groups are what would be considered a traditional gamer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and you're starting to see this uh, impact the way that different companies are uh, promoting things. So, for example, uh, Microsoft's X Xbox team have actually been encouraging gamers as they upgrade to give their uh, old consoles to uh, older people in their life to get them gaming. Um, and, you know, gaming fundamentally... Um, it can deliver relaxation, engagement, distraction. Um, there have been numerous health uh, and well-being uh, studies that have shown um, that it is actually pretty beneficial. Um, the uh, Anti-Defamation League did a study back in 2019, and they concluded that about, I think, 88% of adults that played multiplayer games had pretty positive social experiences. And, you know, over half made friends through the games, about 30% found a community that they felt they belonged to. Um, a similar percentage discovered new interests that they hadn't been involved with before. And uh, I think it was 12 or 13% actually found partners, um, you know, life partners through uh, online gaming. And, you know, when, again, when you look at the numbers, we're, we're 3.1 billion people that now game. Um, and the, the top 10 mobile games you know, combined have about five and a half billion players. And obviously there are duplicates between those, uh, between those games. But it's a staggering number of people that are now using gaming as a way to, you know, relax and escape and engage um, and also be social. And in a, in a period where we have not been able to physically meet um, each other for some time, you know, that, that is a, a serious lifeline for some people. And so to, to bring that all back to uh, AI, you know, the better the AI implementation is within a game, especially for virtual opponents and non-player characters, the richer that game experience is and the more engaging it's going to be and therefore the better job it's going to do at helping uh, lift people out of the, the current circumstances that they might be in. Nick, there's a lot of talk about ethics 
how do you view the role of ethics as it relates to AI and gaming? So, you know, ethics uh, for me is the is the perpetual elephant in the room that some people just seem to not be able to see. Um, and it is it is pretty staggering to me that in 2021 we are still uh, asking the question whether we should even consider ethics when we're thinking about AI. Um, I mean, there are so many examples of where bias and other issues um, have come into play that, I mean, you really have to stick your head pretty far in the sand to think that you don't need uh, to, uh, to consider the ethical implications of the use of AI. Um, and, you know, gaming, like every other industry, has shown really pretty uneven adoption. Um, you know, just my opinion, but I think there are really only two types of companies uh, when it comes to AI and ethics. There are those that have screwed up already and have actually started thinking about it, and then there are the ones that have screwed up. You know, there's, there's basically nobody using AI that is not going to run into ethical challenges. The, the problems uh, are literally everywhere, particularly issues of bias. And frankly, I think companies ignore them at their peril. So speaking of bias, especially algorithmic bias, how does this creep into gaming? What is the way forward to ensure precautions are taken given this is a complex and layered issue at multiple levels? You know, bias really is a huge challenge for all AI. Pretty much everything that we do in AI right now involves um, uh, some sort of training set of data. And if that training set is biased, um, then your AI is going to be biased, right? We, we've seen examples from Microsoft with their chatbot that was learning from what it saw online, and it quickly became pretty unpleasant and racist. So, for example, there's a system in use in the U.S. that is supposed to advise uh, judges on sentencing, and it has repeatedly been shown that uh, if you are a black or a person of color, it is going to rate you as a far higher rate of uh, offense than even uh, you know, clearly violent white um, uh, prisoners, um, you know, which, is, which is pretty appalling. When it comes to games, there's a lot of different ways that, that bias can be a problem with, with AI. So, for example, as we get into automated content creation, you know, games has had a, shall we say, uh, rocky um, uh, history when it comes to um, things like gender stereotypes and, and roles and so on. Um, you know, and everything from the typical female heroine in a game, you know, wearing a bikini for no good reason, running around um, uh, looking terribly provocative, you know, that, that kind of uh, really outmoded and outdated thinking um, through to, you know, when I, when I was a kid, all the bad guys were Russians, right? And, and you know, more recently, all the bad guys are, are from somewhere in the Middle East and, and, and so on. Um, but when those biases are introduced, you know, you've got to be aware that if you're creating content based off a data set that might be flawed, there's a really good chance that you are creating uh, content that is, you know, very white, very Western, very straight, and probably very male-centric um, in, in its design because that's what it thinks is good based on the data set that you've given it. Um, to pick another area, you know, user intent profiling, that is a, a super slippery slope. Um, you know, there are huge cultural differences between countries. Um, so, you know, for, for example, to, to pick on my own homeland, 
right in in the UK where we're known for being a you know a bit subdued and not not terribly excitable and you know does your AI actually recognize that or does it completely misconstrue um, any uh, uh, emotions that I may have while I'm playing a game um, and you know that that can lead to uh, the user intent profiling just being completely wrong um, and leading to a you know a pretty poor experience for a game player um, what really concerns me though uh, is the use of AI in uh, data mining and, and generally the, the sort of big data approach uh, to advertising and I think you know, to give a, a recent example, um, obviously a couple of years ago, Facebook acquired uh, Oculus, the, the VR headset company, um, and they have slowly and steadily been integrating it into the Facebook ecosystem. And they caused a bit of a, uh, a furore last year by starting to insist that everybody using an Oculus product had to have a Facebook account. And, you know, we all know the horror stories about how much data um, Facebook gathers on each of us um, and, frankly, how uh, sloppy they have been on many instances with how that data gets used and misused. And what is particularly concerning with Oculus is if I'm storing biometric data like, you know, head movement, head tracking, hand movement, and so on, a lot of that is very, very uniquely identifiable back to a specific individual. And so if uh, Oculus uh, and Facebook start gathering that on top of all the other information that they have, you can basically kiss goodbye to the idea of anonymized data. You know, they will always be able to say, yep, that is definitely this guy or this person uh, playing this particular game. And, you know, when, uh, when Facebook first announced that they were going to make this change, um, they really kind of, you know, ducked questions about, well, are you going to, are you going to track biometric data? And they sort of said, oh, it's not in the plan. It's not in the plan. Um, they just recently updated the terms and conditions so that they absolutely could gather that biometric data and store it. And when various journalists asked about that, they said, oh, well, no, it's, it's still not in the plan. And to my mind, this is basically like seeing the town drunk um, in the car with the keys in the ignition um, and them telling you, no, no, I have no intention of driving home, right? I mean, it, it is a ridiculous notion that Facebook are not going to try and exploit that data um, to, uh, to further their trillion-dollar market cap. And I think that is something that, uh, yeah, and data privacy in general, that we need a huge wake-up call generally on. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on lessons learned, and do you envision a bright future for AI and gaming? So, you know, again, it's, it's sort of pros and cons. I mean, certainly um, better uh, and more engaging opponents in games is, is a huge win, right? And, and it, makes, um, uh, it makes a lot of different scenarios possible. Um, it makes the games themselves more enjoyable, and, and it's a very rich area. That, that has been evolving pretty quickly. Um, sometimes we do get situations where uh, AIs do uh, strange things in games, which can either lead to you know, a, a whole new bunch of, of internet memes or, or ways to exploit and cheat at the game. Um, and sometimes the AIs themselves also cheat. Uh, there's some fascinating research that gets done in that area. But you know, broadly speaking, um, I think the deployment of AI to make games more interactive and more appealing is, is a huge win for, for everybody. When it comes to content creation, 
Again, I think it's a little trickier in that uh, there are a lot of people employed today um, that are responsible for making that content, and this could potentially uh, eliminate some of those jobs. That being said, there's considerable pressure in terms of uh, uh, profits and costs uh, and cost controls that game developers face. It's not cheap to build uh, a, a big game, especially you know, a, a typical AAA title. Um, so there, there are definitely some pros and cons there, but you know, broadly speaking, tools that can help artists be more productive, um, I think, are, are definitely, uh, definitely a plus. Um, I do think, as I, as I mentioned a minute ago, I do think we need to be an awful lot smarter when it comes to things like user intent profiling um, and, and also you know, uh, the data mining side of things in general. Um, that, I think, is probably the area that has the most potential for a not bright future, um, and, and that's something the industry really, really needs to pay attention to. So, Nick, what resources are available for people who might want to learn more about the topics we've covered here today? Yeah, so there are a few different places to look. Um, IEEE is involved in a number of digital reality-related um, initiatives. Um, and uh, you know, digital reality as an endeavor for IEEE encompasses uh, AI and machine learning, AR and VR, and other data visualization approaches, um, and IoT. So it's, it's somewhat industry-facing, but within that uh, initiative, there's a lot of discussion about the, the broad ethical implications of AI. Um, you'll also find you know, some really great conversations happening uh, on Twitter. Um, and then also there are groups like uh, Fair Play Alliance. Um, there's an industry conference called the Game Developers Conference um, that uh, also is starting to dig into these areas. Um, but you know, candidly, uh, like I said before, the, the adoption and thought about AI in gaming um, is relatively uneven at the moment, um, and I think it needs to be a, a much bigger topic. So uh, I would encourage anybody that's interested in this area to, to start asking public questions um, and start generating some noise about it, because then the industry will start to pay attention. That's great. Any final thoughts? So... You know, I, I hope uh, I hope overall the opinion you know hasn't been too negative. Um, the The interesting thing for me, is, and and one of the reasons that I, I like the gaming industry, is that they do tend to adopt uh, technologies quite early and put them to interesting uses. And you know, there's some there's some really fascinating history. If, if people want to just Google history of AI and gaming. Um, you'll find some pretty interesting, you know, quirky uh, side notes of things that people figured out uh, over the last 60-odd uh, years that, that uh, AI has been used in gaming. Uh, and it's, I think it's also interesting that historically there has been a bit of a disconnect in that the uh, use of AI in gaming has been very focused on practical implementations and much less focused on um, sort of the, the traditional research side of things. So. You know, I'm I'm optimistic uh, going forward that uh, that AI is going to uh, well, it's clearly going to play a bigger role in gaming moving forward. But you know, hopefully, as an industry, we can uh, we can put it to good use so that everybody benefits, as opposed to just a few people. 
Thank you for listening to our interview with Nicholas Knapp. To learn more about the IEEE Digital Reality Initiative, please visit our web portal at digitalreality.ieee.org.